Hello, and welcome back to the Wheel Talk Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. Here with me, my favorite people on the planet, Gracie Elvin. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> I love you guys. Lord Rowney. Good morning, everyone. I said it in my um, my new newsletter. Yeah, in case listeners didn't know, I've started a newsletter to accompany the podcast um, where I do like a deep dive on some of the topics we talk about in the podcast. So if you would like to read that newsletter, it's over on escapecollective.com and you can subscribe to get it in your inbox. Um, but I did say that if you don't like reading, it's just a podcast with a bunch of friends chatting about cycling. <laughs> and I love that about us. So anyway, newsletter plug, shameless newsletter plug. Um, it's, yeah, I, I had some fun with it. There are some sections in that newsletter that are very much Abby. So I hope people <laughs> enjoy it. Um, are you planning to do it through the off season, Abby? I am. I think that I'm going to do some reflection on like my my favorite moments of the season or um, maybe analyze like a race or something like that just to kind of stay excited about the the road racing season. We're not going to have the podcast through the season. We are going to take a break. But yeah, I'll keep this. I'll keep the newsletter going. So we'll see if I can come up with enough things in the off season to Maybe there's listener questions. I'm not throwing you under the bus here. You can throw it in the newsletter. Yeah. We can answer them and then send them like a message response to you or something. Like, you know, the reader writes in sort of thing. Yeah, that sounds dear awesome. Abby. I love that idea. <laughs> yeah, dear Abby and friends. <laughs> I do believe that that is how, the, how this newsletter was formed in Kaylee Fretz's mind is somebody was like, oh, we need a dear Abby because that's like a thing, hmm. dear Abby. And then there were requests for a newsletter. And then Kaylee thought, well, it's only right that a newsletter accompanies a podcast. And there's a bunch of other newsletters over on Escape Collective that we have started. There's the the Down Under Digest, the Dud, uh. by our very own Matt Deneef, all Aussie news. <laughs> he did an awesome one. <laughs> he did an awesome one the other day about magpies. Um, Which is super relevant this time of year. Yeah, yeah, I've, exactly. I've been swooped a few times. So my far. God, I have some horror stories <laughs> from magpies, like bleeding ear stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wade got swooped the other day, and he got it on camera, and it looked gnarly. Very aggressive, very territorial. But at least you know where. Like every year to year, they generally nest in the same um, area, unless there's too much disturbance. So you're like, that's definitely a like a red zone. You could probably create an app that would become very popular. No, like a watch out for the magpies app. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would just be Where a seasonal thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you'd make your, make you could like, <laughs> you could report a sighting, just kind of let people report, report a magpie. <laughs> they never scare me that much. Obviously I don't love being swoops, but I'm not like that fearful. I don't avoid rides that much, but what I hate is it's always, on a road or an intersection where there's heaps of cars and it's so embarrassing and you know all the drivers, <laughs> especially in Australia because it's very polar here, they're like, oh, yeah, get that lacquer person. And you're just like, oh. And you just, like, I just try and do the cool. Like I'm just like unbothered. I'm not raising my arm. I'm not looking around. I'm just riding. Like, please stop swooping me. Like I just... <laughs> It's so embarrassing. <laughs> I feel like one of my 
I mean, one of my favorite but not favorite memories of like keeping track of worlds last year when it was in Australia was poor Balkan Molomo. Was <laughs> yeah, just like yeah. he, <laughs> on his like, TT that bike, with the seagull. Yeah, <laughs> he got sued by magpies. Uh, and then at team camp, they gave him like a like a bird watcher award or something <laughs> like that. Like, <laughs> oh man, hilarious. Anyway, um, yeah, there's the dud the dud newsletter. There's the there's a tool newsletter from uh, Dave Rome. Who, if you follow him on on Instagram, he loves tools. That guy. So he's doing a tool newsletter, and of course the uh, spin cycle by Johnny Long, which is hilarious very entertaining newsletter and yeah a little i've i've already received some some help from listeners i'm really excited that somebody sent i have one little like social media chunk in there just my favorite social media of the week and somebody already sent me a really just amazing video of Lada Kopecky jumping on a one of those beer cars you know like the oh, yeah, yeah. the beer trolley yeah <laughs> Yeah, they had like a huge celebration yesterday in Belgium for Lotto Kopecky or Saturday, and um, she she got all involved in the action. Really great stuff. I was Laura, did you go. get to go? No, the timing was uh, just bad with with my son. Bad. So yeah. yeah, I felt guilty um, if I went because I got the I got the morning off while my partner was with him. Um, and so was like, yeah, I've got to do the afternoon shift. So yeah, it was a shame, but I saw lots of people. I know Belgians that were there. There's a whole women's, um, cycling group here called Madame Velo. And they took a whole crew of, uh, they've got like quite a few thousand followers, I think on their Facebook. Um, they showed up with quite a lot of their followers and it it looked like a lot of fun. Lots of selfies. Lots of dog selfies with Lotta as well. I saw. So she looked like she was having a blast. I feel like I feel really good about her being the world champion. Honestly, like I think she's going to do us proud. I feel like in in, in the past few years, she's uh, more of her personality's coming out. She's got her own clothing line now too. I think it's called Loco or something. Loco. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's good. L O K O. Yeah, I, th- I feel That's like smart. the. The the first T-shirt she made was like, I don't know, it was like a play on, on loco, poco loco or something. Uh, poco like loco, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. And which is, I don't know, it it's funny to me because, Lotta Kopecky, you could describe her as many things, but I don't think poco loco is something that you could say about Lotta Kopecky. No, <laughs> but no, but, but I don't know her, so I don't know. It's just nice the the past few years to see, like I said, more of the personality coming out a bit because I've spoken to some of the Belgian writers before, um, who've been on many national team projects with her and she was very much um described as a bit of a robot, just going through the motions and like super dedicated not saying other athletes aren't, but we've had this discussion before where some people just fully immerse themselves in the sport and that's it. There's, there's nothing else around it. It's just just cycling. Um, but I think now maybe she's found a bit more balance. And I think she's even said this in, in an article. She's found more balance in her life and she thinks that's why she's having more success. Mm-hmm. So Balance is key. Very cool. Yep. Anyway, yep, 
Um, you can subscribe to my newsletter on escapecollective.com and you, if you feel so inclined, sign up as a member. You get unlimited access to the web content. You can connect with editors on our Discord and you get our weekly members-only newsletter. Become a member, escapecollective.com slash join. I feel like that was the ad- the longest ad read ever, but we fit a lot into it. I didn't even realize you were reading I, an ad. <laughs> I had to at some point. I had to at some point <laughs> slot that in there. Otherwise, I get an angry message from Dane Cash where he's like, you didn't mention to join. And I'm like, sometimes we get on a roll, the three of us, you know, and it's mm-hmm. you can't stop it because if you stop it, then you lose the Those magic. are the best podcasts. It really, they really are. But one of my vibe for this week, my obsessed will be something about that, but he's definitely way more structured. But I'm excited to talk about my obsession later in the show. I can't wait. I'm excited to hear it. (laughs) Well, we only have two transfers to report since the last last podcast. Kat Ferguson to Movistar, the Brit. and Ella Wiley to Jayco Lula, which is an interesting move and a great one. I feel like she's a really exciting young rider. If you remember, she did our podcast audio diaries during mm-hmm. the Tour de France fam of X Swift, and they were phenomenal. She's very funny. And uh, yeah, from Life Plus Wahoo to Jayco Lula. Big step Stepping up. up to the world tour, but I think I wouldn't have been surprised to see her on a maybe a bigger name team. But I think being on Jayco will be a good step for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's Kiwi, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kiwis are always funny and they're great teammates. Mm-hmm. I, you can easily generalize people from New Zealand as being easy people to hang out with. So it's cool that That's we get seen some more. We've, we've mentioned it before, plenty of talent coming from that tiny little island. Mm. So it's cool to see another one get a good opportunity. Yeah, I was thinking more about how they didn't send a team to Tour de Lavenir. And if you like, yeah, look at like Ella Wiley, Kim Kadzow, Nee Fisher Black. There's a ton of riders from, from New Zealand. It's Ella a bummer they didn't. Yeah, yeah. Ella Harris, yeah. Man, Ella Harris is awesome. I hope that she's she's she just has like a roller coaster going on with her with her body. She keeps crashing and mm. breaking things. Yeah, I think she sends it pretty hard. (laughs) (laughs) You just got to send it a little less hard. One day she's going to send it that hard and it's going to work. And it's going to be amazing. And Mm -hmm. she'll pull off some big win and then she'll just keep sending it harder and harder. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) And then she switches to downhill. You know, Brody had like a chunk of time where she yes. wasn't racing. Yeah. And she just, she came up to Andorra and she didn't have a road bike. So she just like rented a downhill mountain bike and was doing laps on the chair. <laughs> what a legend. Yeah. I, I'm not surprised. You could just see, exactly. You could just see Brody doing that. I feel like she's lived, even though she's what, 30? She's lived yeah. like five other lives or something in her short yeah. period. Of yeah. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but the first time I ever saw her was at Bay Crits and we were all warming up on trainers, very serious. And I just see this girl and she's literally just on her road bike on the skate BMX park in the middle of where the crit was supposed to be. <laughs> and she's just pumping her bike around. <laughs> and that was her warm up. And then she did quite well. I was like, I'm going to remember this person. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man. Yeah. All right. I think that that's a great, actually a great starting point for our, our episode today. So we didn't have any races this weekend and we've got two more coming up. So we've, this is a awkward in between period. And we were thinking like, Oh, we could answer some of the listener questions that we have in the, in the pipeline for later episodes when we have a situation like this. But then Gracie, so brilliantly pitched the idea that we just dedicate this podcast to talking about our favorite domestiques. And I'm going to pass it over to Gracie because she is, (laughs) she's really organized. So Gracie, you want to take it away? Uh, Okay. I'm not super organized, but I'll try. (laughs) Well, we've talked about domestiques a lot on it, like in one way or another, you know, Mm -hmm. it comes up pretty much every episode, every week, every time we watch a race because they are vital to the success of the the winners, the people on the podium. And um, we we do try to give them a shout-out every time we see something cool, but it's nice to, like, go a bit deeper and hopefully some of my thoughts can spark some um, more thoughts from you guys too. I'd love to know who some of your favourites are. But I, I, I just went through just the World Tour teams just to refresh mm-hmm. my memory um, so forgive me if I've missed some good ones that are not world tour registered, but in my mind, from my experience of racing, a, a good domestic, of course, is really reliable and loyal, but a great one is those two and can step up and win when they're asked. So I just tried to write a list of all those riders who we, mm talk time and time again about going deep into the race. They're consistent for most of the season. They're there or thereabouts. They're always helping their teammates. You can tell that they're loyal and they they do sacrifice their own races. Um, so I'm just going to go through the list quickly that I came up with and then maybe we can have a chat about that group. And then I came up with another list of riders that have been loyal, reliable, and they do step up and win. So that that's kind of an interesting chat as well. And maybe a few that are close to being that. So I'll just start with the the reliable ones. Christine Majeris, Evergreen. Oh yes. <laughs> I think yeah, she's yeah, yeah. number one. Yeah, she is. Um I've put Tiff Cromwell there, but with a star next to her name. So sometimes she's got had some good years and bad years, but I would still put her if she's on her A game, she's one of those um really brilliant teammates that you can have on your side she won gravel she won the gravel yesterday i was gonna say there was well there was racing abby yeah Yeah, there was there was was a huge segment on belgian news about it (laughs) (laughs) the gravel the european championships were gravel but also it was like other entrants could could enter i think it was part of the world gravel series Mm -hmm. and tiff won over lorena webis and so it wasn't a sprint but still, like, I was looking at it, and she won by 17 seconds. But I was looking at it, and I was like, holy shit, Tiff beat Lorena <laughs> Weavis. <laughs> like, she, That's cool. She may not have out sprinted her, but she still beat her. Like, you, you line up against Lorena Weavis, and it's like... And Weavis is, like, going good still. Like, she's had a really yeah. strong year, and she's, like, she was going really well at the road race for Europeans, so... That's cool. That's cool to see Tiff yeah, super do cool. well. And that's leading into Gravel Worlds very soon. And we've got quite a good lineup <laughs> um, internationally, but biased. I think we've, there's some Aussies that I'm excited to see how they go. But Tiff could podium for Worlds as well, maybe. Totally. Yeah, totally. <laughs> All right. Speaking <laughs> of Australians. 
Yeah, Loretta Hansen, back to the reliable list. She has been probably my number one domestic for this season. She's been, mm-hmm. she's had a few bits of bad luck, but man, she's bounced back quickly. And she was, whenever she started a race, she was really valuable to her team. Uh, Florida Mackay, she's just one of those people that we talked about too that um, probably was just this um, blooming star for a while, but she just seems more of a solid support rider and super consistent. I think she's still capable of winning, and I think we mentioned that recently, but she just hasn't been quite on that mark yet, but still really valuable, as is um, Aud Bianich. Um, She's always pretty consistent. Eleanor Cicchini, always mm-hmm. there. Amir Lusik, always there. Uh, Lizzie Holden wanted to mention her. I think she's coming better and better every year and has been a bit of a quiet achiever but also helpful to her team, uh, as is teammate Bujak. She's always there. Uh, Anuska Costa, I think she's, mm-hmm. um, especially in those sp- spring classics and the windy races, I think she's one of those riders we don't talk enough about. Julie Leth, um, she's out at the moment, pregnant. How exciting, but she... Um, when she's been going well over the years, she's really reliable and has been a super loyal teammate too um, with many teams over the years, but definitely with the Wiggle squad when it was at its peak comes to mind. And one of my How old cool teammates- is it that she, sorry. You're right, go. I want to weasel in. How cool <laughs> is it that Julie Leth, like she announced she was pregnant and she wasn't, she didn't like sugarcoat her goals or anything. She was just like, I'm pregnant. But Madison and Paris is still the goal. Mm. Yeah, so awesome. cool. When is yeah. she due? She must be due this year, right? Yeah, I think end of this year. Okay. Yeah, I I asked her to do all the audio. I do- asked her to do audio diaries for the Giro and the Tour, and she was very like, <laughs> "Oh, I'm not going to be at either race." And I was like, "Huh, that's weird." weird. And I was, and then she, and I was like, "Oh well." Okay. <laughs> oh, I, oh, and then I and then the the nationals happened, and she wasn't at nationals, and I was like, I noticed you didn't race nationals, and she was like, Yeah, just you know, getting ready for worlds, and I was like, Uh huh. And then she, because I knew she wanted to get pregnant, like we've talked about it before, and then she wasn't at worlds, and I messaged her just the eye like eyeball emojis. <laughs> 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 she didn't respond. I was like, "Well, well, well." <laughs> so I, yeah, I think that would mean she was that she's due this year because that was quite June and May was quite a while ago. But yeah, super cool, super cool that we're we're in this era of riding racing where she can be like, "Yes, I'm having a baby," but I will. My goal is still the same as it was before. Mm-hmm. Sorry for interrupting you. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. that was good. Good interruption. Uh, I only had one more left on that list, which was Jess Allen. She mm. had, has been, yeah, arguably the lo- most loyal domestic in my memory. Um, she really puts everything. She might not be as strong as that rest of that list, but man, she gives one hundred and ten percent, and that's what you—that's the kind of quality you want in a teammate. I have to say, though, Jess Allen had a few years there where she, I think it was just when I exited the sport, um, and obviously we didn't get to see as much live television, but those years, Gracie, the 17, 18, 19, I think she was really integral in those classic races, even at the Giro. Um, She's just one of those people who could always find 
the gap in the bunch, sometimes me fearing for her life. But, um, (laughs) yeah, she she was definitely on fire for a few years there. And then I think COVID had a a bit of an effect on quite a few people and just the trajectories of their careers. No, I wanted to mention her. So, yeah, I can go into the list of those who are reliable and can win. Otherwise, you guys can... Uh, have a think about some of those writers, and we can talk about. I think just you're the pretty ones. pretty spot on though, because I had a few writers here, but they're actually writers who win as well, but are and can win in the future. Just super domestiques. Um, I'm trying to think. I feel like um, I would throw there's uh, the Canadian on on EF Education Tipco SVB um, Mags. She's an incredible domestique. She's super young still. And I I think that she will get a chance later on in her career, but she's everything I've heard about her. And I had of an interview with her that will be released at some point on this podcast. Um, she's just insanely loyal and in, just an incredible domestique. We'll, we'll bend over backwards for uh, Veronica, Mostly as the GC leader on that team, but anyone who the team is riding for, really. And I feel like Letizia Borghese is also one for EF that I would throw into that list. Like, under the radar, but she's been around for quite some time. Like, she started racing in the Pro Peloton in 2016, and it wasn't until signing with EF in 2022 that she moved up to the World Tour, but she's still, I think, a little bit of an un... um, a little bit of a a quiet writer who just is very maybe not as good as some of the writers on that list but i think definitely can get there in her career um you mentioned Odbi Anique and i feel like she's one that like when talking with Emma Norsgaard, she was will always say that having Odbi Anik at any of the races that she's at gives her like a leg up against everyone else because Odbi Anik is just like such an incredible domestique, so loyal. And she's also quite versatile, I feel like. And we don't mm-hmm. really see much of her or hear much about her, but I but she's just such an incredible rider that's like it's yeah, it's really exciting that someone like her can make a career out of domestiquing because yeah. Um, and also I feel like Taylor Wiles is worth a mention. Um, obviously retiring at the end of this year, but she, since kind of, there was a period there where she was kind of becoming more of a GC leader. I feel like she's an incredible rider an incredible climber and time trialist, but the pressure of being a GC leader can impact some people more than others. And once she signed on to Trek and kind of was put in the domestique role, I think that she started to love racing a lot more because the pressure came off, but she still like she had a job to do, but there was less external pressure mm-hmm. for her to mm-hmm. do that job. And so I feel like she really started to excel in that domestique role. And she is a rider who can just freaking turn themselves inside out. Like it's insane how deep she can go. And it's, it's a real shame that she's not going to be in the Peloton anymore. And also I think Trek would have really missed her this year. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely worth a mention. 
I think that's an interesting point as well that we could maybe just talk about a little bit before we go into the the writers that we see as functioning in domestic roles but also will have the opportunities, whether it's ha- they've had them now or will be in the future, is as the women's peloton is growing and there's more talent coming in, there's more money, people are seeing it as a profession, um, the depth of talent will just grow. And also the difference between now and 10 years ago, you couldn't um, be like a Loretta Hanson where I was having a chat with a friend who was here the other day in Australia and she's just asked me, like, she has all the potential to actually be mixing it up right at the pointy end, but do you think she'll just stay in the domestique role because that is now, like, her bread and butter. She's so good at it. Um and she'll only get better, actually, as we've seen this year. Like, every year she just steps it up. Um, and there are men in the men's peloton that will always just be in that domestic role and never never have wins or maybe even podiums, but that's fine. They'll get paid well. They'll be respected. Um, you know, other teams will want them, but they'll just stay in that, that role their whole career. And I think it sometimes comes back to that um, – I don't know if it's comfort, but just, yeah, like you were saying, external pressure. There is still pressure in a domestique, but it's different to having to pull off the win at the end or trying to get into that final move, um, mm. being in the sprint, mixing it up, like, um, and also the ability to switch. So sometimes we see in races, um, you know, you might have, like, say, in Trek, three different riders who could win a certain race in the classics. And we know how the classics go if, if, everything goes to shit for a team, but you still have a super strong team and you have numbers generally there at the end, can that domestique flip the switch and go, okay, now I have to try and think of a way to to salvage what's happened in the race and get a high position at the end, maybe a podium. And some can do that, flip the switch, and others just can't. They find themselves in a position where they could actually, they're there at the end with, say, the winning group that's going to take out the win. But for some reason, it just doesn't uh, click anymore. Yeah, 100% agree with that. I would definitely say a few things to that, Lauren. Um, I really love that you raise some of these points and that the the onus on that conversation is on two both parties, the rider and the team. And I think as a young rider, it's really important that you learn how to advocate for yourself, learn what works for you, learn what role you like to be in, and also say it out loud. you got to say what you want. you got to tell people what your goals are. Otherwise, some teams just think that you are happy in that role and they'll pigeonhole you real easy. And if you don't say, oh, I'd like a few opportunities next season, that it's not that they don't want to give them to you. They just, and this is coming from experience, this has happened to me, um, of just going, oh, we thought that you were happy as is. So you really have to be able to um, speak up when the time comes. Um, and then on the other side of the fence, teams need to enable riders better. Like it's frustrating to see um, riders not being given opportunities t- year in, year out, because some teams get so focused on this um, one way of winning and it's something I've spoken about a few times now is just like, or can you pick 
the less important races to give these riders like uh, opportunities to grow and learn Mm -hmm. at least on training camps like make them race that was such a good part of the training camps we did was we had to race against each other whether it be alone or in pairs or, or random groups and it's like really it's pretty clear how those motivations come up even in a training camp scenario of those riders that want to go toe-to-toe, elbow-to-elbow, put each other in the gutter, even though they don't necessarily ride for the win in real races and those that just sit back straight away even in just a training environment. So it's, um, yeah, I think the responsibility is on both the rider and the team to, yeah, figure out what role you like but also how to get out of that role if you don't like it or how to give riders opportunities to get out of that role. So it's some teams do it well. And I think SD works kind of do it quite well, but that's a whole different kettle of fish in some ways. Um, Mm. Trek probably do okay at it. Um, And yeah, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, but uh, I think Canyon maybe are getting better at that as well. I think Canyon this year has proven that they've changed, that there's been a complete mind shift because, I mean, I know the old management, um, but I think there's been like, yeah, obviously Magnus Backstead has come into the team. I don't know if this has had a huge impact on the team, but it certainly looks like, Gracie, what you're saying. They're opening it up more, and this is why they're actually getting closer and closer to that win and more consistent wins is because they have they have the talent, they have the riders, they're young as well, and I think they're hungry. Um, and from experience, uh, just for the listeners who don't know, usually there is one, maybe two times in the year where you really sit down. Uh, it depends if you have two camps at the end of the season or just one, where you get to sit down with management. So you've got the DSs, um, the owner of the team, everyone, and it's a it's an open conversation about here's the calendar, this is what we see for you next year based on what we know about you, how you've done this year, and we think you should target these races. We're penciling you in now for all the classics and you'll do, say, the Tour de France or something, and then you you get an opportunity to say, yeah, this is, this is what I want, or you can just sit there and nod your head and go, okay, that's cool, I'll let my coach know. Um, but that's the opportunity, one of the only opportunities I think you really get then to really advocate and go, no, actually, I, I think based on, you know, um, the previous years and discussions with my coach, we really believe that I could win this race. And it might not be a world tour race, but it might be, like you said, uh, just a lower down race. So, um, yeah, I think with Canyon. That's the start. Yeah. And then that's kind of it. You, you get that opportunity and then it's like you leave the camp and everyone gets on with it and it's preparing for the next year. And then who knows, like I said, sometimes in those races, um, the leader might crash out or is ill before or something and you might have that opportunity to rise to the occasion, but you have to say it beforehand. I think it's also mental prep as well. Like for you, I'm sure Flanders was always a goal for you and you always knew you were mm-hmm. capable of achieving something there, but you had to vocalize it and say like I need to be protected at the end of the race because I can do it but if you hadn't said that in the the preseason stuff then you know you rock up on the day and you're still unsure of your role yeah let's get into the second list this All right. is well, exciting one <laughs> <laughs> the the obvious one to be number one spot for this list reliable loyal consistent 
and can win, Marlon Rusa. I think she is definitely easy to put into this list and has been doing above and beyond most other people's roles, not just in her team but all teams. I think she's one of the most valuable riders in a lot of ways at the moment. Um, Los Adegist, I really mm-hmm. rate her. I think she can really step up sometimes and does and has. <laughs> Um, I put uh, Audrey Codon Rago in here just with a little star on her name as well because she can be she has been a little bit up and down but man she she's a fighter and she really goes hard to try and get a result and every now and again she does but super loyal teammate uh, Lucinda Brand mm. I think that goes without saying Elena Sierra I think she is also someone we talk about quite a bit now not under the radar anymore but still a good teammate. For Georgie, what a season Mm -hmm. she's had. I think like a big, big win is, you know, just around the corner for her. She's been doing so well. But like what a great teammate and what a lead out. (laughs) Um, Same goes for Alex Manley. She's already had Mm. some pretty nice results so far. I think she's had a bit of a quieter year this year, but like in general still really solid. Um, Someone I put on this list I'd kind of forgotten about this year and forgive me if I'm wrong, I, I don't think she's coming back to racing. Maybe she's actually retired now, but uh, Chantelle Vanderbrook-Black, I think she was the yeah. like, would have put her high up on this list as well. So I think she's retired she, now, yeah. but she's actually she still on their roster. Marlon Roser of, yeah, but is she, she, was, she was Marlon Roser before Marlon Roser was. Yeah, she yeah. was. She really was. <laughs> but is she, is she going into management or is she now completely out of cycling because that was the i think the plan was for her to go into management after because remember she they'd announced that she was going to retire and then uh manage and then go straight into management with Vanderbregen. Mm. and then she was like actually i'm going to keep going and then she got pregnant so i mean she posted in july on the bike <laughs> but, but she is uh, dutch and <laughs> They yeah. they love to just ride, but yeah, you never know with Chantal. I think yeah. though, yeah, she did a crit um, in August. Oh, <laughs> cool! She's one all of right. the Dutch riders she- that has won like all the big races, and you know we don't talk about her like we talk about Anna Meek and Van der Breggen, which is kind of funny. But yeah, super solid teammate. I've got two more on the list, which is Pertzolo. She's been really stepping up and teammate uh, Olivia Burrell as well. They're they're mm. really solid riders on the UAE team that have been getting some the good names results. are always up there. Yeah. I so did wonder that- because, I mean, I, I had Lippert on that list just because I know she's been winning, but at the mm. same time she's done, I still saw her functioning in a role for Anamique for the last couple of years. So I felt like she is transitioning and she's definitely – this year more so, but I still saw her having to to ride in that role and then step it up. That then yeah. again, you know, in DSM, I completely she, agree. Yeah, so I had her on that same list, but now like yeah. she's in that position actually. When we're talking about um, external pressure and everything, there is no more Anamique that you know. So actually, she's going to be, I would say, the number one in that team now. Yeah, I th- that's such an interesting discussion too. Is going from being a loyal domestique and 
winning a couple times and then having to switch mentally into being a leader. Um, cause it's a, some, for some people it comes really naturally. And I think for Lippert, she's going to be able to make that switch pretty seamlessly, but for other riders, there's a difference between being given a chance to win and winning and going into the season as a leader for the team, which I think is something like Pfeiffer Ger- Georgie, for example, she's going to go into next season very much a leader for the team. And that's something that is going to have to be like a mind shift for her when it comes to races. She's still going to be doing that lead out work for Charlotte Cool, But now that they've seen what she can do after the just incredible season that she had start to finish, she's not going to you. She can never go back to being just a domestique, mm-hmm. just a lead out woman. Mm-hmm. And that also comes to to having a really good captain on the road with you and just that sort of senior presence where, you know, these young riders who have so much talent, uh, they get a bit excited in the races and maybe use too many of their bickies. That's why you have to reel it in a little bit and be really mindful about what is going to be the winning move today or what is my best chance today. Um, and that's where that mental switch sort of comes a little bit. And also, you know, with with a rider like her, she finds herself, herself in these positions where she is in the, the very pointy end of the race, but maybe she has already done a little bit too much beforehand. So that just comes with experience and maturity. Mm-hmm. That can be another podcast <clears throat> in the future talking about team captains because the the di- there's a difference between like a domestique and a team captain. The team captain has to be someone who has a lot of experience, can like really read the race super well and anticipate what's going to happen and make those calls when the director isn't able to make those calls. And we've seen in the past teams that are incredibly strong but don't have that team captain role and how they suffer. Um, But it's a team captain is someone who's like kind of hard to find. I I slotted into the team captain role a bit in my last year racing and I absolutely loved it. I feel like it was probably the, my favorite role that I had as a rider going from like a hopeful, a GC hopeful to domestique. And then eventually, yeah. Asked if I could please be a captain on the road. It was, yeah. One of my favorite, favorite positions. It was really, cause you have to be good enough to be at the end of the race. Um, you need to be there when the action is mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. But you also don't have the pressure of having to win, which is really nice. <laughs> Some of the best team captains, I think, like Tiffany Cromwell, we've spoken about her before. She's fantastic. If you can understand what she's saying, um, <laughs> because she she has a habit of, of mumbling a little bit. But um, she she's one of the best. And when she is on good form and she is there at the end of the race, um, she's been really crucial in a lot of, key points and races um, for for those final decisions and wins that that used to happen um, when there's a bit more success. But, again, Canyon Strand is is coming back up again. Um, and you know who's going to be a really fu- uh, great future captain but who also has potential, um, and we should put her on the list, to be a winner is Ruby Rose McGannon. Mm, she is going to say her. I would 100% agree she as well. She is so – ha- I've had limited experience with her, but last year when I was working with the Australian women's team a little bit, um, some of the Zoom calls we did, the the insight that such a young rider has into 
racing and tactics and being able to see the overall picture and just the maturity in her development is this young rider. Um, yeah. She's incredible, really. Yeah. So that's that's one to put a big star next to, like as in keep an eye on her for, yeah. for the I, future. She she really gets racing. It's really mm. I love watching her race. Um, she's had a few good standout rides the last season or so. But if you watch her, like she's le- she's on a steep learning curve still in Europe, but she's she's doing really well. But if you watch her at Bay Crits, that's <laughs> where you can see that brain because she is walking all over everyone in those races, and you're like, yep, she's a level above here. But it's cool to see her just figuring out that the big leagues now. So yeah, good point, Lauren. I like it. And then I had like from Canyon, I feel there's. The team, the whole team this year almost, I had like Nia Dimer, Bowenfield, Paladin, Shabby are all riders who can win in their own right and are incredibly strong and have done so, um, but are often functioning in that that dom- domestic role. Um, yeah, because- I was wondering about Shabby because I was like, you know, I would put her in a domestic role, um, but she's all, but she's. She's interesting because she's also a rider who goes for like the the mountains classification. Like a domestique doesn't usually get that opportunity to get any kind of points on paper because they're always just in the peloton focused on their leader. And Shabby is one who I feel like she's she's an interesting. She's like she doesn't fit into any box because she's not really a winner. I think she could for sure, but I think. Like she's, she doesn't win all the time. She's not really a domestique because she doesn't just stay in the Peloton working for others, but she's also maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but not really a leader in that she's not really got the experience. Like I think a leader is somebody um, on the, a a team, a team captain on the road is someone who knows how to win a race. And I wouldn't really put that in, in under her resume yeah at this point in time regardless of like she's incredible but just you know so i feel like shabby's a really interesting one because she's incredibly strong and she's like always there who um, do you think canyon puts yeah. as the team captain i know sarah roy has had some captaincy roles at times yeah i think roy has been their go-to this season okay because tiff's barely really done much road racing with the team she's a gravel queen i'm gonna put my money on her for worlds I forgot about Shabby, to be honest, but, yeah, I think that she's hard to put in a box at the moment. But I did write down this other group of people that they can step up to win, but they're still learning how to be reliable, which is all uh, the youngsters on Canyon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All, all <laughs> Canyon. Yeah. So I don't know if Good she point. is even in that group or not, but they're, they're, they're a little bit wild at the moment, bloody talented. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the wild wild west yeah but i've been loving it it's been great yeah. just to see it, like it's those exactly what that team needed yeah yep yep and yep. i also put phoenix to Kernick kind of in that group as well mm. of like wasn't quite sure who their leaders were you could guess you know like castellane and dewilder but um i think they're all still you know coming into their own and their own capabilities and maybe uh, not super organized at times, but all super talented. So I, I feel 
good amount of that team can step up and win, and they have. <laughs> Based on their, their racing style, it, it does appear they go in with a bit of an open plan, right? Mm. They're super, but aggression, that's their number one thing. They're super aggressive. They're just trying to make the race, um, and they've pulled off, you know, a win at the Tour de France this year, and they've been up there in the pointy end, and they were very present um, in the biggest tour, I guess we could say, of the year. So I think that's exciting. And that's definitely one way for young riders, because it seems like a collection of young riders, um, to learn and have a bit of courage and just put put your nose out in the wind. But it's coming back to also that captaincy role and a bit more structure needs to come into it if you really do want to go into a race and say, like, we have a red hot chance to win today, but this needs to be the plan. You can really only like fly under the radar and radar and try to win by just being aggressive all the time for so long before the peloton. Comes. No, no, no. <laughs> when, catches on to what you're yeah, up to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're too strong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had one more small group, which you guys can definitely add to, of who has all of these qualities could win if they were allowed to. Um, and I would put Soray Paladin and Brody Chapman on that list. Great. Uh, domestics doesn't seem like they get free reign very often good point i yeah brody very interesting one because um obviously she made that shift from fdj where she was just an integral part in i think last year almost all their their big victories or close to victories she was always there super loyal reliable and then this year unfortunately her you know First season with Trek in the Aussie stripes. Um, she's just un- not had the season that she wanted due to it's been injury and illness, right? Both of them. Um, yeah. And I do, I yeah, do she hope. had that horrific crash earlier in the year. Oh, that's right. It that was awful. Um, and maybe COVID at one point was that last year. Yeah. COVID again yeah. this year. But um, I just really hope she's a rider and Knowing her personality a little bit, I don't want her to fall into the sort of position Taylor did. I think Taylor then, like you said, was really comfortable um, being in that domestic role, but she could be someone like I think you're hinting at, Gracie, that will be pigeonholed and, you know, seen as just a super valuable player in the end result for another rider, but... She has a lot of guts and talent and, yeah, I think I like her racing style and she's still got so much to give in the next few years. So it Mm. will be a question of um, a few things next year. I'm really curious, like Lizzie Dignan, I think um, she's just a super smart rider and she always has a plan and when she sticks to the plan and, you know, there's no injury or illness – um, she seems to to hit the mark that she's going for, and I think she's on the trajectory for having a good 2024. Um, and then I think Elisa Longo-Borghini will see her fight back for next year because this year has been so disappointing for her, um, and she's a winner. So, again, you're having those two key riders, plus I think we're going to see um, Sharin step it up again, hopefully in 2024. Um, and then, of course, who else we have? Balsamo is on her way back up to what she was. So already I feel in that team it's like 
it's going to be the same names. And then Ellen Van Dyke, of course, is coming back with her her eyes on the prize for the Paris, but who will probably function, I would say, for most of the season in that domestique role. Yeah, I'm trying to think of more riders that would fit into that category, and I can't really because I think that this has been a really interesting year where there's been there has been a lot of opportunities for riders um, underneath the underneath the overarching SD Works domination. Um, like Voss has been out for a lot of the season for Yumbo Visma, so a lot of their riders on that team have gotten chances. To race, and we were gonna dive into a little bit of the Yumbo Visma drama. I wrote about it on Escape Collective. If you want to check that out, but I think we don't have time today. But we'll definitely dive into it at some point. Um, but you saw riders like like Kim Kadzow got opportunities at uh, Tour of Scandinavia. Anna Henderson's been getting better and better all season because she's had the chance to. Um, Corinne Lebecki even got some chances to sprint like this season just because just because Voss has been out and Femme Van Empel even at the end of the year. So it's been an interesting year, I think, for for a lot of teams because a lot of teams have had their A riders out due to injury or illness. Can I throw something in there before we wrap yes. up this domestic thing? <clears throat> and I always come back to this. I don't know why I always talk about the Olympics. But, but it is super interesting because um, – you know, selection, the selection period is is coming up, right? Yeah. And if you are someone who has your eyes on the Olympics and you've been functioning in more of a domestic role, um, even though we like to think with um, championship teams that they're built around, you know, having a leader and, you know, everyone else working for in function of that one leader, Olympics is – you know, there's small teams. I think Australia is right now only got three, is that right, based on the current list? Um, and we've had four for the past two Olympics, I think. Um, but anyway, so what, what I'm trying to get at there is someone like Brody Chapman who, who had eyes on Tokyo um, but didn't have the season she wanted to get selected, that that plays in, in riders' minds too as how they go into the next season and how maybe they race. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I guess, Gracie, you probably have a bit to say about that too. Next year, for sure. Yeah. I felt I always felt the Olympic year felt – and I went, only went through two cycles, but um, there was like this – particularly when I was on an American team and there were lots of Americans – there was like infighting within the team because they were all trying to go for an Olympic spot. Netherlands with four, Italy, Belgium, Great Britain, France, and Australia, the US, Denmark has two. Yeah, Australia, US, Germany, Poland with three, Australia, uh, Switzerland. This actually could be a good segue into the China races because um, when we were talking about who goes to these races, when if it's been a long season, et cetera, is sometimes you will see um, the National Federation putting pressure on certain athletes to go and get those last points if there is a point. Yeah, opportunity. Switzerland only needs like Switzerland only needs 60 points, 70 points to get four spots. Yeah. So, so that's that's another yeah. factor coming up into the last races too. You know, I, I remember emails going around like that we, we were doing really well in those years. Um, 
to make sure we got those four spots because it makes a difference to have one extra rider. Yeah. So, yeah. I feel like we could talk about the the great domestiques forever, um, <laughs> but we do have to wrap up this episode. Uh, Lauren, what are you obsessed with? I mean, I, I feel the, the person I'm going to talk about is like really known now, but Stephen Bartlett, Diary of a CEO. Hmm. I just bought his book um, and I listened to a podcast with him, um, a podcast I do frequent and a lot of people don't like this podcaster, but I actually really like the people he interviews is Rich Roll. Um, I've copped criticism before about listening to him from some Americans, but um, I think his podcasts are really good and I really enjoyed his, they're really long form, sometimes like, you know, two hours or something, two and a half. Um, which is a couple of walks for me. But, um, yeah, he interviewed Stephen Bartlett and um, I've heard a few interviews with him recently, so I've just been a bit obsessed, I would say, with this guy and um, what he's doing and actually just how he he runs his podcast because, yeah, we're podcasters and um, it's just on another level. He's so professional, but just the way he operates and he thinks and, it just makes me like listening to him and the people he interviews. He interviewed the guy from founder of Spotify just the other day. Super interesting podcast again, but just um, it made me think of greatness and people who achieve big things in life um, and just understanding the psychology behind those people um, is super interesting and it just makes you reflect on yourself and how you think about everything in the world actually and how you function just on a day-to-day basis so that's what I've been obsessed with like yeah I feel like I had this conversation with somebody recently about like what it what it takes to be so successful and like if those people are happy like are they loved like I don't imagine that Elon Musk is very loved you Except know. from like his 14 children or whatever. How no, but I don't, but they, a bunch of them have changed their last names. Like, I didn't they even don't know he has either. 14 children. Yeah, he, I think. I don't know too he much. He has a lot. Well, I mean, Bartlett, Stephen Bartlett, he just wants to interview Musk because of what he's done in terms of innovation. He's super mm. curious to get into the mindset of this guy. But for him, like, the thing that he realized really early, so Stephen Bartlett became a multi-millionaire at the age of 23 or something, right? He sold his first company. Um, And he did what any young 23-year-old did. He bought the Ferrari and the mansion and all that stuff. And he realized very quickly, like the guy from Spotify did the same thing when he sold his first company, that isn't happiness. Um, And so for him now, Stephen, you know, he wears the same outfit every day. He just has, I think, seven or ten different same pants, same shirt sort of thing. He lives in an apartment. He doesn't go off on these luxurious holidays to Tahiti and stuff all the time. Um, for him, happiness is is all about just achieving the next thing. So that's, that's where he finds his uh, sense of self is he has to keep pushing himself. But there is a limit, and that's why I enjoyed the podcast with Rich Roll because Rich Roll is a very successful podcaster, but he also um, has a better balance in terms of he's very much into his ultra sport and stuff like that. And 
you know, he's vegan and he um, he really values his body and his health and takes takes a one-month sabbatical every year where he just disappears and stuff. But he it was like these two successful people but have different approaches to how they value success. Um, and it was just interesting with, like, Stephen, he just wants to keep hitting the next mark. And it's kind of like when, at what point do you go, I've done it all. But I think for someone like that, they just never reach that point till maybe they burn out. What is success, though? Like, it's what is success? But that's for him, I think, is just like, you know, selling the next billion-dollar company or something. I don't know. Mm. I was just going to say everyone has to define it for themselves, really. Yeah, it'd be cool if those people were like, oh, success is stopping climate change. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. But some people's success is just raising, like, say your parent and you just want to raise, like, really healthy, good human beings and feel like, you know, that that could be your purpose. Mm. Man's Search for Meaning, that's a great book to read if you, like, Victor E. Frankel, if you want to delve into the whole what is your purpose. Oof. Mm. Classic. Good question. Gracie, do you have any obsessions this week? Um, I, I'm generally obsessed with that stuff that Lauren's mentioned. Mm. But I feel like that's like a lifetime obsession. I don't actually listen to that Diary of a CEO, but I can vouch for it because Kimbers loves it and she's always making me listen to it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I do listen to some of them. I knew you uh, would love, appreciate love it. it. <laughs> love a good interview. Um, I don't know what I'm obsessed with this week. Last week I said gardening and and reading about gardening books i've just done a backyard blitz with kimbers and her dad and we're pretty flogged from all the work but i smartly also planted a few things in my other part of my garden so we absolutely demolished the main part of our garden and it's quite I don't know, sometimes demotivating when you're in the demo phase instead of the build-up phase because you're like, what are we doing? Mm. We've made a big mistake. It looks worse and it's like so much work now to fix it. But we've gotten past that stage, which is good. But in the meantime, I'd planted a few other things and they've been popping lately. I've planted a few lilacs and um, nice things and they smell beautiful and some new herbs and every time I go and see them they've been growing like every day so that makes me happy to walk out to the nice part of my garden <laughs> and see <laughs> things that have changed every day it's amazing how quick some of them grow my obsession to nobody nobody's surprised literally no one is going to be surprised and <laughs> I like I'm almost embarrassed to say this after after Lauren's like um overarching life success success that's the first like that sort of one i think i've had i was like i gotta up yeah. it up from baby clothes and stuff like that <laughs> well i'm obsessed with uh travis kelsey and taylor swift it's like american royalty and the memes have just been phenomenal there's been a lot of memes about um the american revolution <laughs> and finally getting away from the British because she's only dated Brits for the last like 14 years. So um, a lot of memes that are really funny. And uh, and Travis Kelsey is everywhere. And he is hilarious. I'm a big fan. I feel like she needs someone to make her laugh. And and I'm loving the, um, the Swifty takeover of the NFL. It is super entertaining. And also Ketchup and Seemingly Ranch. How did this Freaking hilarious? How did this like couple happen? Well, I don't know, but he went to her 
he went to her Eras Tour show at, at Arrowhead Stadium, like where the Kansas City Chiefs are from. Um, and he brought a, you always bring friendship bracelets to the Taylor Swift Eras Tour because there's literally one line in one song that's like, we make the friendship bracelets and now it's like a thing. <laughs> Which like, they're everywhere. Like she's, the power of Taylor Swift is wild. But anyway, so he made a friendship bracelet for her with his number on it. But then oh, she's not, she doesn't like um, do meet and greets. So she didn't, he didn't get to give it to her. But then he was very vocal on the internet that he like had made this friendship bracelet. And I guess it got back to her and somehow they connected. I think his coach is friends with her dad. And so they like somehow what? connected. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and now she's like, she was seen last week in his box at the, at his football game with his mom. And the internet is like wild. The internet is insane. And so it's like the numbers on that game are just mad. Like it was like the game had the most post show views of like any NFL game. I was reading somewhere like the NFL changed their Twitter handle to NFL Taylor's version. Like Heinz put out a ketchup and seemingly ranch flavor. Like the world is bonkers. Like, I don't know how you could see the Taylor Swift effect happening right now and not say, like, she's bigger than the Beatles. Because I feel like... See, yeah, I think you could do a whole podcast, a deep dive on this. I find it fascinating. Probably. I was, like, diving I'm sure it's bit. already been done. <laughs> yeah. There's many podcasts. <laughs> it is well, insane, though, podcast. that, like, yeah. Is there She's, anyone I mean, more famous than Taylor Swift? Not right now, I don't think. And and the whole like trend on social media of girlfriends being like, wow, Taylor Swift really put Travis Kelsey on the map. And how angry the men are getting that there's like a woman infiltrating their man bubble. I don't know. I just I just find the whole thing just hilarious. And I and there's an element of it where I'm like, just just let her be. Like you don't have to weigh in on her relationship. You don't have to approve or not approve. Like fucking leave her alone but it's also like hilarious how insane everyone is about it like in the post the post game interview Patrick Mahomes the the QB quarterback for for the Chiefs the only thing he was asked about was Taylor Swift (laughs) and it's just like man it it cracks me up and I think that at this point in life I can say that I liked Taylor Swift before she was cool (laughs) we'll let you have that one you just need the photo evidence. One of my Aussie friends, she's got all the photos from like, oh, I don't know, the 2000s when she first emerged. Yeah, yeah, as like a proper Taylor Swift. I, I wasn't a fan of her back then. Oh. I, I only, yeah, I only discovered her in like, I don't know, 2010 or 11 maybe. That's still pretty early. And she released Red. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have a whole podcast uh, dedicated to music. If you guys haven't heard of it, it's called The Album Files. <laughs> and um, we talk about Taylor Swift quite regularly. Uh, Matt Deneef is on this podcast. Um, two shameless plugs in one episode. But we will soon do a deep dive into Taylor Swift's 1989 Taylor's version because it comes out in, in just like a... Wow, we're in the month of October, so this month. Wow, that's exciting. I had not put that together, and now I will not sleep tonight. I wish listeners yeah. could see your face right now. <laughs> uh. Anyway, uh, Lauren has, has real work to do, so we're going to wrap this up. But thanks, you guys, for, for podcasting this is, with me. This is pleasurable work. 
<laughs> <laughs> and uh, thanks to the listeners for sticking sticking with us. We'll be back next week. Bye.